grateful to be in this house. Are you grateful to be here today? Anybody grateful to be in God's house today? Come on, well, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're, that you're with us today. And those joining us online for the first time, welcome. And our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show them some love, family. Come on, clap for them. Well, I want to, uh, I have a lot to share with you today and, and um, no more time than normal. And so I'm going to do my best to share with you what God's placed on my heart. I don't want to just read verses to you. I don't want to just regurgitate what I studied this week. I, I want to share with you what I believe the Holy Spirit will move you into the image. How many of you want to be changed when you come to God's house? You want to be changed. And I, every time I prepare something, you know, when you read something, you're like, that's good. That's good. But then what does it mean for my every day? What does it mean for my tomorrow or my present relationships? And I realize as I, as I have been further studying this topic of holy fear, I, I've been challenged in many ways as to how I see challenges before me. But maybe more than anything else, I'm challenged with living a life that is pleasing to God in a fallen world, not being intimidated by the brokenness that surrounds us, but recognizing that I have been called by Christ, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. As those of us who are sons and daughters of God have been described by Jesus himself, that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And with that in mind, what does our life look like? What do our relationships look like? Society has an interesting way of forming us. And the Bible teaches us that we should not conform to the patterns of the world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so the way that our minds are renewed is through the word of God. It's not you know, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. I just, some of you need to, you know that, right? There's like four of you like, really? You know, you're not transformed. Your mind will not be renewed by consuming that which comes from man. It won't. I, I, I was thinking more in the, in the line of holy fear. And have you ever showed up somewhere and you, you're just not prepared? Has it ever happened to you before in your life where you may be at school or at your job and you get there and the boss is like, hey, today's the day. Can't wait for the presentation. And you're like, oh gosh, no, not today. And he's like, yeah, everyone's prepared. We're all gonna be in the conference room. 20 minutes, see you there. And you're like, has that ever happened? To yes, it's happened. Have you ever had that before in school where you have to give a presentation in class and you're like, is that this week? Is that happening this week? Is that happening today? I have to tell you, when you start, when you start preaching and teaching God's word, um, I don't know, it's, it's a strange thing. I remember it was a few years into ministry and, and I woke up in the middle of the night in, like having this nightmare. My nightmare was I, I was guest speaking somewhere and I didn't know I was supposed to speak. And I was sitting in the front enjoying worship. And the pastor says, and welcome up, Pastor Jesse. And I was like, no, 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 don't welcome me up. And I remember walking up here and like looking at everyone. And then you just want to, you want to melt into the stage, you know. And the world has a way of, of kind of forming in us and kind of cultivating in us the way that we should react to the challenges and the trials and the tribulations that we face in society on a daily basis. And Coming through the last several years, um, 
as a culture, as a nation, and even around the world. It's fascinating that many of us will wait for a trial or a tribulation to happen before we actually figure out what our convictions are. Like you should know the convictions you carry before you engage in any sphere of society. You should know the belief systems that you have. And the truth is many of us figure out what not to believe after we pursue something that's counter to what God instructs us to do. Like, hey, I'm going to go that way. You're like, hey, God says don't. Ah, it's going to be all right. And you go that way and you're like, man, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go this way. Now it's, you know, there's two ways to learn through our own mistakes or through the mistakes of other people. And I remember watching, and, and, and the, you know, the truth is, when you read God's word, he instructs you on how to live your everyday life. Now, you may look at it and say, hey, it's too complex, it's too, it's too confusing, I don't understand the context, but if you give time and devotion to God's word, it will speak to every aspect of every relationship you have. I was reading a story in the Old Testament, and I was so kind of kind of just struck by the response in a trial and tribulation that I wanted to share it with you this morning because I believe it has to do with walking and living with a holy fear towards God. Now you know we talked several weeks ago about the really the way that you and I determine is if we have a fear of God is through um, a trial, it's through a test. And then it's usually within that test we determine whether we have a fear of man or a fear of God. Now, if I said to you these three names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, would you know those names? Some of you are Bible scholars. Like, yes, I do. Yes, I know those names. But for many of us, those names aren't as familiar to us. Um, they were names assigned um, by, by God, really, within the Jewish culture to three young Jewish boys, now you have memorized, many of you have memorized these names, but not by the name that God gave them, but by the name culture gave them. You memorize their names as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that, they are the names that culture gave them. King Nebuchadnezzar gave them those names to redefine how they saw themselves in light of the culture they lived in. And what's fascinating, if you study, every name is important. Every name has a meaning, significance to it. Hananiah literally means Yahweh, God has been gracious. Our God has been gracious. God is good. That is his name that was assigned to him. It would be changed as Shadrach, which means I am afraid of God. That's what it means. That's what was assigned to him by the culture. Mishael means who is like my God. There is no one like my God. What a name to have. To say no one is like my God. That's the name that I've been given. But his name was changed to Meshach, which means I am despised and humiliated. <laughs> and then Azariah means Yahweh has helped his children. Speaking of the love and personal nature of God. And his name was changed to Abednego, which means slave of Nebo, which was a Babylonian god. The historical timeline of this is fascinating. 600 years before Jesus would arrive onto the scene, carved out, and this story is carved out in the, in the book of Daniel. Daniel was one of four young men taken into captivity by the Babylonians under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. They conquered Jerusalem in 586 BC, and we find their story written with detail in the book of Daniel. Now, one of the things that's so 
so interesting to me is they thrived, they were blessed, God provided, and God preserved them in a foreign culture that despised everything about them. But God preserved them. God protected them. And God provided for them. There would come a, a point in their story, in their journey, where um, the king said to Ashpenaz, it's a cool name, um, to Ashpenaz that, they, that he needed to train them for three years in their culture. So basically it was like, hey, indoctrinate these young men in our culture and flush out of them every principle that, they've been, that has been downloaded into them by, by, by their God. <laughs> it's kind of like going to university today. And um, it is in a strange way. We're, we've taught ourselves to trust in what man can figure out and despise the things that God creates. And whether we say it on the surface, and it's not, it's not to demean education. Education is necessary. But when we look at ourselves in light of God and we say that we are superior in intellect and in knowledge and wisdom to the things of God, we ourselves are the problem. And so they get trained. And then we find in this story, it leads to this, 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 this intense dialogue with the king. And it happens because there comes a point in the story where they have to reveal ultimately their, their convictions. Who do they fear? Do they fear King Nebuchadnezzar or do they still have a holy reverence for God? Now maybe on the outside you couldn't tell because of the clothes they wore, the food they ate, the people they were surrounded with, but at one moment they had to ultimately reveal their convictions. And the way that it happened was the king built an idol and he says when the music team, when the worship team starts playing, you will bow down. Well, everyone, everyone who just submits to the authority of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, as soon as they started playing the instruments, everyone bowed down, except for Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel. No, no, none, of those, none of those men bowed down to the idol. They were brought before the king. The king says, I'm gonna throw you into a furnace unless you bow down. He has the team play again. They refuse to bow down. He says, heat up the furnace seven times hotter than we've ever done before. And in the process of heating it up, even his own servants were consumed by the flames. But this is what gets my heart. And I suppose what gets me in their response to the king is not the conviction they carry, but the conviction they carry regardless of the outcome. Like how many of us have prayed prayers like, hey God, if you give me the outcome I want, I'll worship you. But how many of us have stood in the, in the face of adversity and said, God, even if you don't, I'm still gonna worship you. Even if you don't, I'm still gonna praise you. This is the response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king and they said this, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Listen to how kind they are, but how confident they are. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They didn't wait to stand before the furnace to develop a conviction in God. They didn't wait for the moment of their journey to decide, hey, should I trust God in this moment or should I not? What you witness in their response and in their reply was an utter dependency on God that did not start in that moment. It started long ago. And I wonder if you know what God calls you, how God sees you, how he speaks to you. You might say, I, I, I don't know. The all more of an importance to be in the word of God to know that you are favored, seen, and loved by God. That he knows you, not only by name, but he calls you one of his own. To know how you're seen by God enables you to live not only with convictions and in a holy reverence and fear of God. It gives you a firm foundation to stand on. And when everything else seems to be going just absolutely crazy in society, you feel, you feel like you have a firm footing. It's not because you're so smart. It's not because of the gifts and the talents, your generosity, your serving, all of the good deeds you do. No, it's because you've built your life on the principles within God's word. And God sustains those who trust in him. He preserves those. He blesses those who have a fear of him a reverence and an all of him. If you continue through the story, you'll find that King Nebuchadnezzar um, is not impressed um, by their arrogance as he sees it. And so he throws all of them into the fire. Later, as you read the story, it's a bit funny because he throws them into the fire. And then a few verses later, it says he leaps to his feet and peers in and says, did we not throw three men bound into the fire? <laughs> and Sigurd was like, yeah, that's what we did, you know. He's like, there are four men walking freely, unbound in this fire. And it says, when they walk out of the fire, none of them smelled like smoke. None of their hair were singed on their bodies. They walk out completely unharmed by this furnace. And to hear the response of the king. We will worship your God, he says. But that's what God does. He preserves us. He cares for us. He keeps us. And I don't know about you when you hear stories like that. You're like, man, how good is our God? We serve the same God. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. It's the God that fights for us. He goes to battle for us. He's in every little trial and tribulation, every battle you have with the adversaries that you're dealing with. God is present. Can you say amen? It's the God that we serve. And I, I realize that as we talk about holy fear, we can talk about holy fear in so many different ways. And, and we could really begin in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. And you will find within almost every book of the Bible, this principle or actually the word, the fear of the Lord present. But something more simplistic. How many of you just like things to be, to be simple in life? Anyone? Uh, everyone else likes them complicated? Is that it? Okay. Um, you're not going to get that for me, okay? And I just like things simple. And sometimes when I read the word of God, what I've realized in, my, in, in serving the Lord, it's not that people don't know what's right. It's people don't choose to do what's right. And so then I ask myself the question, well, why? Why, why is it that when we started the church and we started to tell young people to preach 
and teach about purity before marriage, that sex is a holy thing before God and it should be preserved for marriage, that society begins to look. It's one thing if society looks at you like you're crazy. It's another thing if the people in the church start looking at you like that. And then all of a sudden people within the, in the house of God start to question, is that what God really says? And so you start asking questions. Well, why don't we believe that? Well, how far have we strayed from believing what, God what God's word teaches us? We all build something. Matter of fact, you are building something right now. You're building your life. The question rather is on what are you building your life? Some of you are immediately running in your mind to circumstances and situations. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the principles of your life. Are you building your life on the principles of the world? or on the principles of God's word. Because ultimately, what you fear, you will elevate. You will elevate. You will elevate and you will ultimately get to a place to worship it. And one of the things that I've realized in my journey is that we are all building something. The question is, what are you building? My, my children uh, love to go. I have a really nice uh, shop and uh, a ton of uh, tools in there and my, my kids love to go in the shop and they love to build things. Now, just, I have to just say this so you don't think I'm a horrible father. Um, my, my father allowed me, not all the time, but most of the time, the permission to kind of go in the shop and like use some of the tools and, and he would teach me and show me. So I figured like, I, I want my kids to have the same experience that I had growing up. And so I come home sometimes and and I'll see something my son Levi made. I said, Levi, how, how did you make that? He said, Dad, I got out the, you know, the, grinder, the grinding wheel, and then I took it on the saw, and then I got the sander. And I'm going like, where, with, with your mom? He goes, no, Dad, Mom doesn't come in the shop. And I'm like, well, who was in the shop with you? He's like, Dad, I know how to do this stuff. And I'm thinking like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, son, you could lose like a finger. He's like, Dad, I have all my fingers, okay? I'm fine. And so some days I come home and they're, they're just building things. I don't know what they're building, but apparently they know what they're building. And they just take parts of, you know, pipe and wood and nails and screws. And they're just creating stuff, which I love. I love that. The other day I came home and they were outside and they were building a fort. You remember building forts when you were growing up? And uh, man, we need more fort builders today, but everyone's stuck on the devices inside the house. And so what I suggested, I said, I said, hon, we need to just like, we need to promote this outdoor, the outdoor behavior. So I gave them a saw and I said, it wasn't a power saw, it's a hand saw, okay? And um, you still probably lose your finger. But anyway, I said, here you go. You need to go outside and go make a fort, go build something. And so they're out there and and they're fighting over the saw. It's, that's another story. But they're, they're cutting trees down. Then I realized they cut a really big tree down, which I didn't think they'd be able to do. And uh, they were building something. And they were passionate about what they were doing. And then they realized that where they started to build the house, it wasn't that firm. The foundation was a little off, so the house fell over. They had to start the whole process over again. We're not very happy about that. And, um, and so they were arguing about where to build the house. And someone said, we should build the house over here. Another one said that we should build the house over here. And, and, um, and then all of a sudden I hear one of my, my children say, hey, we can build it here, get dad's ax and get the shovel and get the other things and we'll make the ground good. I had to intervene at that moment because I just, I, I do love my children and I don't want there to be an accident, but I, I remember, I have to tell you this story. I remember growing up and my first, um, my first uh, show and tell. I'll never forget this. I think I was in first grade. And, um, 
just so you have a better understanding, you think some of you are looking at me like I'm a crazy parent. I, when I was growing up, my father came back from a missions trip in Honduras. And when he was at Honduras, every, every child was running around with a machete. They all had machetes in Honduras. And my father's like, this is awesome. I'm getting my son a machete. Now, I might have only been six years old, but he came home with a machete, gave it to me. I loved my machete. I was in the woods every day with my machete. And so I was so proud of it. It had my name carved in it, Jesse. And it was like so cool. So I shoved it in my backpack and uh, took, it to, took it to class. I, I, to this day, I don't really recall the reaction of the students, but the teacher's face is seared in my mind. And I think it had to do the way that I took it out. I hid it in my bag and then kind of, you know, out like this. And she started screaming. I said, it's okay. It's just a machete. It's just a machete. And um, put it back. Put it back. I said, easy. It's okay. I use this thing all the time, you know. And um, yeah. So the other day, my son was jumping off the back of bleachers at a, at a soccer game. And I, I one of the parents saw me yell at them because I'm like, knock it off. And they're like, yeah, that's not safe. And I said, I'm not worried about him jumping off. I just, I think he has a knife in his hand. I just don't want him to get hurt. And she goes, oh, you're just kidding. I said, because I could tell she was like, you're nuts. And I was like, yeah, he definitely doesn't have a knife. And I'm looking, I'm like, put the knife away. Put the knife away. <laughs> Crazy parent, you know, letting their kids run with pocket knives. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't have a pocket knife in public. And, um, <laughs> his first time the compass kids he comes to class and one of the teachers says oh pastor he shoved a little pocket knife under his sleeve to get into class I'm like oh gosh I'm sorry just that won't happen again we're all building something in our life and I suppose <laughs> that's what we were talking about right we're all building something and 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 the truth is Scripture, and just is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, and it's a simple passage, but to walk in it requires real maturity. Because how many of you know, like, religion doesn't save us, Jesus saves us. And if we want to really be followers of Christ, we can't just say all of these things about how bad society is, because my Bible says that Christ has called us not to be of the world, but to remain in the world so that we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So God has no intention of hiding you in a fallen world. Matter of fact, he wants to use you. And how does he use us? He uses us by us walking in obedience to his ways. I talked to someone the other day. He said, Pastor, can I go to heaven but not go to church? And I said, I suppose. Maybe you can. I said, but my Bible says that there will be people in a day who say to Jesus, I, I prayed to you all the time. I worshiped. I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. Because it's not about doing things for God. It's about knowing him and walking with him. The Bible says that you will be known unto men, not by the fact that you pick up your Bible every day, not by the fact that you, you, you know every lyric to every worship song. The Bible says you will be known unto men by the way you love one another within God's family. It's a hard thing to do when you choose to separate yourself from it. But this is what Jesus says. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Almost every child of heaven knows how they should walk 
but why don't we walk that way? It's not a, it's not a question of like, should I, should I do life this way or should I do life this way? Many of us know what God's word says. And I'm, I, let me speak more plainly. We know what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. We know what the Bible teaches about marriage. We know what the Bible teaches about sexuality. We know what the Bible teaches about, about kindness and patience and self-control. That they should be evident in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. We know what the Bible says about generosity and serving those who are less fortunate. About building the kingdom of God. We know what the Bible says, but why do we choose often to build our lives on what Jesus would describe as sand. You know, he gives no description of the home. The home could look on the outside as magnificent, perfect. (laughs) But only in a storm and a trial do you get to determine whether or not it was built on a firm foundation. So let me ask you again, what foundation are you building your life on? Are you building your life on the principles of God's word? Are you just going through the motions? Paul would write in Romans chapter 2 verse 13. He says, for merely listening to the law does not make us right with God. It's not just hearing it. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. I don't think we intentionally build our lives on sand. I just don't think we realize that consequences of what will happen when we do that do you remember this season of your life when you were younger and and you had those questions in your head you're like "Ah, I just want to do this and your parents are like don't do that and you're like why you're like well hey listen God's word says you're like oh you're just a buzzkill you never want to have fun you're always trying to cause me to always live a boring life and you're like blah 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 you go through this whole thing but really your parent was just trying to preserve you protect you guide you and direct you and you know as parents sometimes we say oh our kids they just don't get it yet they're just not smart enough when they hit the real world and they have a mortgage and they have to pay the taxes that we pay in New Jersey and when they have to do all of these things then they'll really grow up and figure it out what you're saying to them is like they have not seen the challenges that you've seen But Jesus says, I don't determine maturity by the challenges you see. I determine maturity upon whether or not you see me in the midst of your challenge. So followers of Christ, it's really not not what do we know, but do we walk according to what we know? May it be a challenge to you today. In your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in your finance, in your focus, in your time, in your energy, and all of those things may, may May Christ consume your thoughts in everything. During the day, may you think of Christ. At night, may you think of Christ. May you, may you pray with your spouse and your family and your children. May you be consumed by the things of God. I believe that's what it means to build a life on a firm foundation. I'm leaving you with this passage in James chapter 1. James writes it this way. This passage was written for people who live in New Jersey. So listen to this. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He's making a generalization or maybe even an assumption, but it's it's often true. We hear the word, and we go, that's good. And then we leave. And we think because we were mere observers or listeners, that then the power is evident 
but James says, you've deceived yourself. He says, you must do what it says. You must walk in it. Some of you, you do not want to make that call to forgive that person. You do not want to honor God in, in areas of your life. But do what it says. He says, anyone who listens, I want you to listen to this family. Listen to how he describes this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately, everybody say immediately, he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Can I tell you what James is saying to me and what he's saying to you? Is when we gather on Sunday and we proclaim, the God, when we proclaim God's word and we open up the word of God, which should be an overflow of what we do throughout the week. But when we open God's word and we find direction for our lives, for our marriage, for our family, in every aspect of our life, what James is saying, when you hear it, and then the pastor prays, and you leave and walk out this building, like carry it with you, like walk in it. Let it birth in you a conviction, like honor your wife, love your children, be respectful to your boss, be kind, even if people are not kind to you. Love other people, have self-control, honor one another. And you might say, well, I don't know if they're worthy of honor. The Bible says that honorable people show honor. We don't determine whether or not we think they're worthy of it. Honorable people show honor to other people. And so the Bible is, James is saying to us, this is what will happen to most of us. We'll look into a mirror and we'll see our face. And then the moment we walk away, we literally forget what we just saw. Let me say it this way. It's like when you open up your Bible and it says, pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies, and pray for them. You go, wow, that was good. And you close your Bible and you just get back on with your business. But actually do it. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your marriage. Forgive your spouse and your children. Demonstrate self-control and generosity in your life. Family, I'm telling you, there's power in your obedience before God. Can I just challenge some of your thought? I just feel like you're thinking, I can. You can never please God in your own strength, trying to strive your way through being obedient to God, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, living in biblical community, empowered by that same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave, you can honor God with your life. Your life can be a living sacrifice before God and say, God, I no longer live, but you live in me. Help me to honor you in all that I do. And God, I'm grateful that even when I mess up, you will faithfully rescue me, pick me up and push me forward and say, I still love you. Keep going. That's the God that we serve. And I want us to be a family, a family of faith that not just talks the talk, but actually walks it out. That when we say God is first, let God be first in our week. When we say that we love God, let love be evident to those we're in relationship with. When we say to the world that God forgives you, then let forgiveness be evident in our lives. Let's walk it out.
It's a lot easier said than done, amen? <laughs> but may it birth in the home. May we see it in our marriages and in our families. May we see it in our relationship with our children. May your circumstance not determine whether or not you live with a holy fear. In spite of your circumstance, trust God. Trust God. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let me pray for you. We never close our time with one another without giving people a chance to connect with Jesus. Connect, get right, surrender. The Bible teaches us that every single person is separated from God because of sin. Sin is merely missing the mark. You might be here today when you hear me mention the word sin. You start to think of yourself and you start to judge yourself and, and say, well, I'm not as bad as this person. I'm not as bad as this person. But the scriptures teach that none are righteous, not even one. If any aspect of sin is evident in your life, you might as well have committed all sins. Sin separates you from God. And you might say in yourself, maybe you're like me when I first started to look to Jesus and I started to say, okay, what do I need to do to fix it? I will fix the problem. The truth is, my friend, you could never give enough money to save yourself. You could never serve enough, honor enough, love enough. Your works will not earn you salvation. But there's good news. It's why we call it the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus. The Bible teaches us that God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible teaches that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save it through him. Some of you might be having this moment of thinking, well, what does the cross have to do with me and my story? The cross of Jesus Christ has everything to do with your story. The truth be told, family, you'll never fully understand your story until you understand his. Because when you understand and realize that Jesus went to the cross, not just as a random act, but as a personal demonstration to redeem you, to purchase you back, to pay for your sins, his story means something completely different. It becomes so much more personal. And so if you're here today and you recognize one thing, this is what I ask. This is where the, you begin in salvation is recognizing you can't save yourself. Jesus came for the self-condemned and he came for the self-righteous. The self-condemned never feel like they're worthy enough. And the self-righteous don't think they need God. But God came for both. The Bible teaches us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're here today and you're not right with Jesus, you've never surrendered your life, you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, we're gonna say a prayer right now. It's a simple prayer, my friend, but it's a significant one. So come on, True North family, help me lead those who are saying this prayer for the first time, those here today and those joining us online. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody that said that prayer.